You're listening to episode 22. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our future guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Known as Silicon Valley's longest-serving CEO, Ray founded his own business back in 1976. I was barely, uh, I was not even born, actually. Seven, um, and 1978, there you go. And, uh, and he, he says that, um, that was the last time he received a paycheck from anybody else other than himself. Now we're talking over 40 years or close to 40 years, and we're sitting here with Ray to share that amazing story. You can check him out at toughthingsfirst.com. I'm super pumped to dig more into your story, Ray. So welcome to the show. Uh, but before we dive in, perhaps uh, Ray, just take 30 seconds to tell us who is Ray outside of business. Okay, so... Um I'm 79. I live in uh, the Bay Area, uh, California. It's called Silicon Valley. I'm married uh, 55 years. I have 22 grandchildren and four great-grandchildren with uh, two more on the way. Uh, I moved to the Bay Area after graduation. Um, So I got my BS degree in industrial engineering and management from Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And I moved to the Bay Area after graduation Went on to get my master's degree in business at San Jose State University. Uh, worked uh, uh, initially for United Technology and making rocket motors, the Titan 3C booster, which is the SRB for the shuttle. Um, and then left in 63 to join Fairchild. The semiconductor industry was just in, in a startup mode, basically uh, 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 seven years uh, uh, old at the time of that when... when the industry was seven years old when I started with them um, in 1963. And um, so I stayed with the industry um, until, um, well, I stayed until now, actually. But uh, in, in 1976, I did leave uh, my, my only employer I had at the time. And that you're correct on the date as far as when I left to try to start my own company. I went home um, one evening after meeting with my boss and said, I'm not going to work for anybody ever again. And so from July 1976 until present, no one has ever written me a paycheck. I've only only written my own paycheck. Um, so, you know, that's uh, 40 years um, of uh, only working for, for myself. Um, and so that's, a you know, kind of a 30-second Background. I'm the oldest of 11 children, born and raised on a cattle ranch uh, in Southern California. And uh, so I didn't have any uh, industry, industry experience uh, 
uh, prior to uh, joining uh, my first job in the Bay Area in 1960. So that, that's my first exposure to business. Um, and so since then, uh, of course, I've been um, uh, on my own, uh, running, running my own company since 1978. That's uh, that's a long time. That's the year actually I was born. Um, so that um, that's a that's a little while ago. Um, Ray, w- are you still generating revenues today? And if yes, uh, what are your core revenue streams? Okay, so um, I retired from my company. We sold the company, uh, Micrell Semiconductor, in August of nineteen or of uh, two thousand fifteen. Uh, uh, for $839 million to a company called Microchip, which is another semiconductor company out of Arizona. And uh, so since then, I've been promoting my book, um, Tough Things First, which I wrote, and um, it got published by McGraw-Hill in uh, November of 2015. So since then, I have been promoting the book. I've been mentoring uh, university and college students, um, so uh, I, I haven't actually created any revenue uh, per se. I've been paying out a lot of uh, revenue because I've been I've hired I've got a couple of people that, or actually three people that that work for me. Um, but we actually haven't generated any revenue uh, since uh, I left my company uh, or since I sold my company in August of uh, 2015. So um, I, I have you know no real. Uh, need to, to generate revenue at this point because I did quite well when I sold the company, uh, and uh, so my my goal or my my objective really is is to get all the experiences that I've learned, you know, uh, over the past uh, fifty uh, plus years, get those out into the to to the um, world as you would, so they can kind of hear my story and hear what I've learned in fifty plus years. 55 years actually uh, of um, of working and um, and and it's just really more um, to promote you know good ethics in business and 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 to help new entrepreneurs new new individuals wanting to go out strike out on their own to be able to to run a successful company because 90 percent of all startups fail and and there's a good reason for that so uh, you know, I'm trying to help change that so that it's not 90%. It's it's some higher percentage. You know, maybe we can get 40 or 50% to succeed. I'm not not going to be able to get 100%, but uh, if I can increase that from from 10% to 40 or 50%, then then I've all have felt uh, I've been successful. So I'm also trying to help college students and and promoting uh, the entrepreneurship uh, with uh, with uh, these college kids. Mm, that's amazing, and congratulations on um, the exit. That, that's an amazing um, exit from your businesses. I wanted to touch on, the, you know, those businesses that, and that that business that you were running. Actually, I think it was just the one business. Um, how did that journey start for you as an entrepreneur? Uh, you know, leaving um, your job and starting out um, on your own. Can you walk us through that story? So in 1971, I know it's a long time ago, I made a trip to Singapore for my company that I worked for at the time, and I was impressed how uh, these people, without getting government support, uh, 
were able to run these little businesses. Uh, the street that I uh, went on and, and was amazed by was called Change Alley in Singapore. And there's all these little stores that, and these people were surviving and had these little businesses. And that so impressed me. As I said to myself, if these people can provide a living for themselves without having to rely on a larger company, why can't I? So that was in 1971. Now it took another five years for me to finally come to the conclusion that, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to rely on a large company. Um, I'm going to strike out on my own. And I, as I mentioned earlier, when I went home that, that evening in, in July of 1976 uh, and walked up the stairs to my home and told my wife I wasn't going to work for anybody ever again, uh, she says, oh, okay. So I had a very supportive wife. My spouse was very, very supportive, and that definitely helped me as I now uh, proceeded to, to strike out on my, on my own. So I tried... Uh, four different companies, uh, or four different op- opportunities before I actually landed the, the one that I sold in August of, of last year. So it wasn't that I just immediately struck out and said, oh, you know, here, you know, I, I've got this great idea. I didn't even have an idea. I didn't, I didn't even, I had to come up with some ideas. And I, as I said, I had, I started four different kind of companies before I, I, I got my, my company, my Coral Semiconductor started so the and that was in a two-year period so what that meant was that I, I had to look at each business and and know when to as they say hold them and when to fold them or when to pull the plug uh and so the the key here for entrepreneurs uh, davis is really knowing when something's going to work and when it's not don't just hang on because you want to be on your own or because you're in love with it don't drink your own Kool-Aid you know be willing to pull the plug if it, if you can see it's not working as i mentioned i tried four different kind of businesses before i landed the the winner which was my Corel semiconductor that's a that's an amazing story so how did you land on on the micro semiconductor business and and what in a nutshell what were you providing what products or services was that providing to the market i had made my my one product that just before i started my uh, my Krell, the semiconductor company i had developed a product called the microcell racer the microcell racer was a runner's watch this was in 1976 it was a digital watch that had a chronograph uh, built in and um the uh, uh it was lightweight it was a uh, uh, a plastic uh, watch, and it was very successful. I was endorsed by Jim Fix, second book of running, uh, back in, in the 78 or 77, uh, and it was quite uh, it was quite successful. Uh, the problem was that the um, competitors like Casio decided to jump in on the same market that I was in, and they kept lowering the price. And, and in fact, they lowered it to the point where it was no longer attractive uh, for me. And, and, uh, and it just so happened that um, as I saw the business kind of going, going away, that um, uh, because of the fact they were kept lowering the price to the point where it was costing me more to make it than it was to sell it, that I uh, launched upon the idea of 
starting a, a, a semiconductor company, which is basically in my background. There's, there's where most of my experience is in, is in making semiconductors. So um, that's what launched me in, into starting a, a in, in an area which I had more experience. And, and so you've, you started that business. Um, did you start it on your own or did you have business partners? And how did you get it off the ground? When I, when I was started to, to develop this semiconductor opportunity, um, the one goal I had in mind, and I need to drop back a little bit here, and when I left uh, my last job in 76, I told my wife that I didn't want to work for anybody ever again. And so following that theme, I, I want to make sure that I had control of the company, and I didn't want somebody else to have control. So my first thought was to see if the venture capitalists would fund my company and let me have control. Um, and of course, that turned out not not to be the case because they, as you know, venture capitalists want to maintain control themselves. And so then I had to change my business plan uh, because if I if I want to maintain control, that I either had to go and get friends and, and other companions to partners to to help fund the company and get and get some uh, bank debt. So what I did is I raised three hundred thousand uh, dollars amongst myself and a couple of other people. I went to the bank and um, and, and tried to raise some money in a, in a bank loan so I could still maintain uh, control. The bank said, "No, we're, we don't fund startups. You know, we you know banks don't loan money to companies that don't make money." And so I had to change my business plan so that I had to. Um, um, show that I can make money, or the bank wouldn't loan me money. So that changed everything. I, the whole concept of how I ran the business had to be modified. And so um, we came up with a plan that allowed us to be profitable. Uh, the bank it, uh, did allow me, by the way, to lose money one quarter out of out of uh, four. I had to be profitable for the whole year, so I couldn't lose so much money in one quarter that it made me negative for the year. They wanted to make sure I could serve the, service the bank debt. So I had to be profitable at least um, three out of four quarters. Now, the bank thought that was going to be impossible. So I had to personally guarantee the, 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 the loan uh, and also had to, to assure them that if I couldn't repay the loan uh, through my assets that I had, that I would give up 10 years of income over, you know, over the next 10 years until the debt was repaid. So it was a very onerous uh, 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 set of covenants that I, that I had to meet, but I was convinced that I could run the company and be successful. Uh, and obviously I wasn't risk-averse because, here, I'm going to give up all my assets and possibly 10 years of, of, of forward income. Uh, but because I was so willing to do that, uh, the bank then went ahead and, and loaned me the money to um, to help me fund fund the company. So uh, b- between our three hundred thousand and the three hundred thousand from the bank, that's six hundred thousand dollars. I was able to, to start a very successful company in uh, uh, November of nineteen seventy eight. Um, we only lost money one year, and that was in two thousand and two when the dot com implosion took place and. And I lost half my customers because of that. Uh, and we consolidated two wafer fa- fab facilities down to one. 
I had to write off $29 million, but I was still only negative $50,000. So think about that. In, in, in 37 years of running my company, I only lost $50,000. I mean, we're talking a total loss of 50000 in that one year, not millions. So... Um, but we've been, we were profitable every other, 36 out of 37 years, we were profitable. It was only that one year in 2002 that I, when I wrote off that facility and consolidated it, that um, I had a loss of $50,000. So you can see, I still did pretty good in, in, in making money, even losing half my customers. So um, I think that uh, shows the ability to really, you know, weather the storm, as they say. Mm. I want to ask you, Ray, um, how did you know you were going to be able to execute on this idea and taking, you know, what feels like a lot of risk? Um, and then, you know, how did you go about growing the business in those early days? Sure. So um, the key is, is you have to have a business plan that is doable. It, it has to be one that you believe in. No, you have to remember, uh, we're only on a, only a short uh, podcast today you and i so you you, you got to know there's a lot more into it than just this little few minutes that we're going to be talking so um my first plan the bank rejected so i had to go back and 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 uh rewrite my plan so that they believed it uh the advantage of that is of course they were mentoring me they were saying this now looks believable to us. So here I had somebody looking over my shoulder so that if I must have convinced them that uh, I could uh, be um, a successful uh, a business or they wouldn't have loaned me the money. Notwithstanding the fact they had all these guarantees, but still they wanted to make sure they didn't have to execute on those guarantees. And so they you know, were very scrutable with making sure that my plan was in their minds doable, so that was a good thing, and and so um, it wasn't a very grandiose plan. It was, I mean, it, it, but it, but they they wanted me to walk before I could run. So they 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 watched me every single month. They were over in my facility, coaching me, helping me, and looking at how what I was doing, um, because that's what you need. You know, you need somebody who is standing off. You know, as a as I say, fly on the wall, watching what you're doing, uh, and uh, and and helping you uh, as you grow your business. So, uh, I'm still with that very bank. I'm still with the same bank that I uh, that funded me uh, uh, 40 years ago, uh, and um, so uh, uh, and that's because they've been a good bank to me. They were they were very helpful. They've helped me all the way through uh, the development of my business. And of course, I stuck with them, uh, and and so it's always good to have somebody that that is kind of a, like a fly on the wall, somebody who's not personally involved in the business that can help you look at what you're doing and mentor you as you uh, grow your business. So that's kind of what we did. The company went public. My company, my Krell, went public in December of. Um, of uh, uh, 1994 uh, at, at the annual uh, revenue of uh, $35 million. Uh, and in those days, you had to be profitable for three years. So we'd already been profitable for the prior three years when we went public. 
And that was um, another good asset. We weren't just going public for the sake of, of, of trying to be, make the company liquid. We did it because we were ready to go public and not just because um, we, the, my investors were uh, banging on me to, to, to get to the company liquid. So um, we raised $78 million in the public offering. And uh, when I sold the company uh, uh, last year, we were uh, doing uh, in excess of $250 million in revenue um, and um, uh, highly profitable. Uh, and we sold the company, the value of the company at $839 million. So, and you can see I'm starting with my investment of 300000 and parlayed that into uh, a value of $839 million uh, 37 years later. Now, most semiconductor companies start with about $50 million uh, in investment through venture capitals. Um, and, and, but they go public in, oh, in 10 to 15 years, oh, I'll say 10 years. Um, we t- it took us 16 years to go public, uh, so it took us maybe four or five years longer uh, because we had to grow slower and more methodical, uh, and we didn't have the 50 million dollars to ramp up our business. But I still think that's pretty impressive that we could go from uh, 300 thousand dollar investment uh, to the value of 839 million in. Um, 37 years, or 78 million, if you as you would, in in 16 years from the day we started the company. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a huge, huge um, jump in valuation. And kudos to you for you know you were at the helm of that. Um, wh- what was the biggest breakthrough moment? Do you think that was um, that gave the company that impetus to grow so much? Was it just a gradual compound effect, or were there was there a key moment where things turned around for you? Well, it's a brick by brick thing. It's you know we didn't try to grow the company. You know, let me let me tell a little story here. You know, uh, I call it the, the asparagus phenomena. Asparagus, is, which is a food that we eat, a plant, um, it's a vegetable. Uh, it grows ten inches overnight, and they always cut the, the asparagus at night. And it, but it has no food value, so it grows quickly, and but has no food value. Uh, and and so my company was not like asparagus. We we didn't grow quickly and 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 have no value. We're more like a car hoist that lifts these cars up to so you can work on them. We can we you know s- slow sustainable growth that we can sustain large loads for long periods of time. That's what we were building. We weren't we weren't building asparagus. We were we were building a hoist car hoist. And so a little slower, a little more methodical, a lot more sustainability. Um, and, and so it was brick by brick. You know, I, I didn't just try to throw it together and get it out there. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to build a long, sustainable business. And how did you find, um, I guess, the dynamic of you going public versus when you were running the business um, just with your own internal shareholders? Very good, good question. So uh, when you're private, uh, you don't really have anybody looking over your shoulder. Um, You don't have the pressure of outside investors. But when you go public, you're now, you know, everybody's looking at you. So what I ran, when I uh, started the company from day one, um, I ran it f- totally transparent. I, I ran it as though I were public. 
So I didn't have any problem with my books. Everything was all clean. Didn't have to go change anything uh, because from the day I started the company, I ran it as though I was public. So, you know, that's the old as-if principle. You run as-if. So when it came time to go public, I had no problem because I was ready to go public. And when you're coaching um, new entrepreneurs today who are growing sizable businesses, especially in the tech space, for instance, what's your counsel to them when they're asking you, Ray, I'm thinking about going public or, and I want to raise more funds. Should I just go to VC or go public? What, what, what's, what are the key drivers for you? So I have a company that I've invested in just recently. Uh, it's a software company here in Silicon Valley. Um, and I'm the primary investor, by the way, in the company. Uh, they've got about mm, 17 people currently. And it's a, they're a SaaS company. And, and I told them, number one, you have to read my book. In other words, you've got to be willing to read the book and, 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 and understand it. And I actually give them a little test afterwards to make sure they've, they've, they've got the gist of, of what it, it takes to run a company. Um, and then I, um, I meet with them uh, uh, twice a month, and I go over you know, how they're doing, what, how close they are on their plan. Um, the main goal here is to raise enough money in the beginning to allow you to be profitable uh, without having to go out for, and raise more money. The problem that most these startups have is they're constantly raising money. Why, what happens is, is they only raise enough money to get started, and if they're with venture capitalists, that's what they want because they, they want you to get diluted every uh, couple of years, and so they'll continually um, force you to spend the money you're constantly going back asking for more money. You get more diluted. Pretty soon you only own 10% of your company, and you lose interest. You, you lose that motivation. And I, I tell my guys, that this, these companies that I, that I mentor, that that's not the way to do it. Raise the money you need to take you to, to your profitable. If you can't raise enough money to take you to profitability, don't start the business. So that's the, that's the key. And so that's what I told these guys that I invested in is, you know, you got to raise enough money to take you to profitability. Now, if you don't, if you don't, if you start, if you run out, now it's going to cost you. So, you know, so they know they have this cloud hanging over them to make sure that they get to that point of profitability before they run out of money. So that's the key. Raise enough money in the very beginning to take you to profitability. If you can't raise that money to take it to profitability, don't start the business. Mm. That's that's pretty deep. I'm actually doing some financial consultancy here in, in Melbourne with a um, a SaaS startup as well. Um, and uh, it is a little bit like that where you've raised money, um, getting close to profitability, but you still got to keep raising maybe another one or two tranches before you really scale. I want to pivot a little bit because this is an interesting topic and we can continue on this, but I want to talk about fear of failure. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs are held back by failure. Um, how has this translated for you over the past 37 years? What would have been the biggest moment where you felt really, really scared or did you ever have any of those moments? Yeah, you, you run scared uh, the whole time. So um, the minute you, you lose your fear is the moment that uh, you've... Uh, you better quit. I mean, you, you know, 
as as Andy Gross said in his book, uh, "Only the Paranoid Survive." Uh, you gotta you gotta be paranoid. Uh, you know, you you gotta be on top of your business every moment. You know, twenty four seven, three sixty five a year. Um, so there was never a time that I felt comfortable. Comfortable when you get comfortable, that's a danger point. So um, now you don't want to be so afraid that you can't operate. You know that it, it, you're so fearful that you're, you're you're like a deer in the headlights. You know you can't you can't move. But you want to have a certain amount of of uh, fear as you approach every, every day. So my company went through five different cycles, business cycles, and they were major. You know, if you can remember or, or knew of the one in 2009, uh, that, that, that just about did our industry in and, and did me in. Uh, so that was a tough year. And well, in the dot-com implosion was another bad one. About every four or five years, we went through a business cycle. And here's what I say. I say that unless you've been through two business cycles, which is about 10 years, you have not proven your worth. So until a company goes through, you know, at least two cycles, I won't, I won't, I won't put any money on you. That's good. Um, so in other words, you believe um, in order to prove stability, you would have had to have gone through some stuff, and then, and then you can invest um, your dollars into that business. Um, that's that's good. Um, at the point of exit, um, was there a moment where you felt? Fearful, um, you know, before you sold the business and you were still the CEO, did you feel you had to achieve certain certain targets? Otherwise, you'd feel like all this, all these years of hard work didn't, you know, pay off. Not that you were after money as such, but just to feel like you had that due reward. I was more fearful for my people. So when you when you do a consolidation or a merger with another company, you're going to lose a lot of people, and I wasn't concerned about myself. I was really worried about my employees. So what I tried to do was structure as best I could the protection for my people as, as we were ready to, uh, to uh, merge the company. So I, I really was never worried about me, honestly. I, was, I truly worried about my people. That, that goes to show you know, the quality of, of your leadership. Um, what would you say was the marketing strategy towards the sort of the last um, five five year cycle of the business? Um, was it a lot of you know social media or just repeat customers from your old database of clients? How was the company growing? Well, we we didn't really change the way we marketed. Um, social media we used, of course, you know when when it became prevalent and and. and uh, at the beginning of the of the of the next century, um, in the Y two thousand, where social media became a, a more important, uh, we did use social media. But I don't believe, and at least in my mind, that social media did a lot to help me grow my business. Um, and that's because of the nature of of semiconductors. You know, semiconductor industry is um, almost sixty years old, uh, and um, and so there's a traditional way that we marketed. Um, our our products and that hasn't changed over sixty years, um, and and I don't see it changing in the next sixty years. So um, it, you know it's a more traditional um, uh, direct sales, uh, rep, uh, sales reps, uh, distribution, um, advertising, 
or you know, just normal advertising. Um, and, and that's been the, the way we've marketed our, our, our products um, uh, for the past 60 years. So, um, and I don't see that, that changing a lot. There, of course, there, there are the, you know, the normal conventions that you, that you go to um, that, that you will demonstrate your products. So I don't, I don't see that has changed so much. Now, of course, there's not the magazines that we don't distribute magazines as much. Uh, but so most of the, uh, the advertising is online. Um, so that, that's my view. Ray, with your um, SaaS company, this startup that you're investing in and mentoring to, to growth and scale, how, how are you coaching them to get their, the word out? What's, what do you see working best these days in the marketplace? Well, of course, um, with my, uh, my current business, Tough Things First, which is a, a book, um, we are using social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, uh, you know, all those types of uh, media um, is, is how we're trying to, to market the book. Um, and it's, you know, it takes a while because, you know, when you, you got to build a following and, um, if you're, so if you're, if you're doing a business that what's real estate or, or, or something else where you need a following so you can build up your reputation, uh, there's where you, where it's a lot of work. I mean, it takes a lot of money, a lot of time and energy to, to build that following. Um, and of course, I never wrote a book before. This is the first book I ever wrote, and um, and so I wasn't familiar with how to market it. Now, if I do a second book, I'll, I'll know to do it better and different. But um, um, the the um, uh, kind of companies that, that require social media are the more of the of the uh, SaaS social media or the uh, software. Oh, real estate's another one, or even uh, starting your own restaurant. Um, requires a following, you know. So you got to get people uh, on board following your uh, product, and um, I guess even selling cars. I mean, I guess the manufacturer, car manufacturers, are using social media uh, to um, to sell their cars. So from that point of view, you know, mar- the way you market your your product or your business has changed from where it was uh, fifty or sixty years ago. Let's talk a bit more about your book. I know we, we're running, we're coming to the top of the hour here, but um, tell me what, what is the core message um, of, of the book and um, you know, where can people find, find, um, find this information or find your book from? Well, uh, any of the major uh, book uh, companies carries the book. Uh, primarily it's been Amazon uh, that I have got the most sales from. Uh, the, the purpose of the book is to stress the importance of doing tough things first. Um, so if, if I look at, at my life, in the way I live my life, um, it hasn't changed any uh, since I've been a child. Um, uh, I, I go to bed early and I get up early. I exercise for an hour in the morning. At 5.30 I get up and exercise. And then I start my day by doing the tough things. Of course, exercising is a tough thing. I, I have to push myself to to exercise every day. I, that that's that's one of the tough things I get gone get going on first every day is to to, to do that. And even though I'm retired or semi-retired, 
um, I still have exactly the same routine that I did when when I was working, uh, you know, uh, fifteen hours a day or ten hours a day. Uh, so I start off, I exercise, eat a good breakfast, uh, and and then from a work point of view, I say, what is the first thing? Uh, that uh, what is the worst thing I have to do today? What's the toughest project I have? And I tackle it first thing, get it out of the way. And I found that if I did those tough things first, got rid of those projects that I that I would put off or would pra- procrastinate, that the rest of my day went really good because we all like to do the fun things, the things that we enjoy doing, and so those come easy. But it's tough to get those those t- difficult tasks out of the way. So a disciplined person, uh, and I define this as, as the true meaning of discipline, is to do what you don't like doing and doing it well. And if you can get that out of the way first thing, then the rest of your day is going to, to go well. Um, so Emerson said that that which we persist in doing becomes easier. Not that the nature of the task has changed, but our ability to perform it becomes easier. So if you persist in doing something, you develop the right habits, that will help you. But generally what you have to persist in doing is doing the things that you don't want to do. I call it loving the things you hate. And uh, now um, I can honestly say there's very few things I don't like doing. Because I've learned to eat the ugly frog. That's right. It's, uh, I, I read that book, The Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy, um, which is kind of the same philosophy that you've, you've applied through, through your life and, and what you're now teaching, um, in your own way in this book. So it's a, it's a great principle. And, um, I love that you've shared your, your, um, your routine, what you, what you were doing, you know, when you started the business and what you, what you do now in terms of, you know, looking uh, at your life. And so I generally ask that question anyway. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you've touched on that. So, so we can grab a copy of that book on, uh, on Amazon. Are you, are you doing any, any specific courses and mentoring programs at the moment, Ray? Yes, we do. We, uh, I, I do a podcast, um, once a week. Uh, it's on tough things first. You can find it, my podcast on tough things first. Um, I write in my blog, uh, it's, uh, on LinkedIn or, or Twitter, or uh, or Facebook, you can go to Raise an Entrepreneur, and um, uh, you can find my posts that I do. I do those twice a day. I do two posts a day. Uh, these are all coaching guidance ideas uh, for running your business or just how to live your life. Uh, I so I do that twice twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, and. Um, uh, and then I do uh, training. I, I, I'm at different universities. Uh, um, I have a, uh, a program that I, I recently started at, a, at a, a university called Virginia Tech, which is in Blacksburg, um, um, Virginia. It's a well-known uh, technical school. Uh, it's called Zen Starter. And what Zen Starter is, is uh, a donation that I make to the school for their entrepreneurs to help fund their projects in other words as they if they want to start a business while they're in school so i don't own anything of it i mean it's just a donation that i make to the zen starter program that allows the students to develop uh, a, a company while they're still in school this is not for after school this is while they're yet in school if they want to to start a company or develop a product then this uh, uh, 
fund that I've put together called Zen Starter will help the, the, the university do that. And so I have uh, uh, one already underway at uh, Virginia Tech. I've got three more that are in process. Um, and, and I mentor the students um, as, as, as they uh, uh, have questions or issues in, in starting their company. They get with me either on Skype or on the phone or, or in person, and, and we, uh, we help them um, with uh, any issues that they have. So that, that's the sort of things that I do. I, I generally lecture um, at the universities uh, at least once or twice a month. Mm. Well, that's amazing, eh? I don't get any pay for it either. There's no, I don't, I don't get any money out of it. Sure, that's that's great. I mean, um, you know, giving back to to the next generation of young people, young entrepreneurs. I think that's that's amazing. Um, so, what's the best way, Ray, for people to to connect with you? I think connect with me on LinkedIn or Raise an Entrepreneur on Facebook. Um, so, our tough things first. I mean, I have a website, toughthingsfirst.com. It's all one word, uh, and so they can connect me on Tough Things First. Also, that's a good. In fact, that's a, the, probably the best way to connect with me is on toughthingsfirst.com. Fantastic, and we'll we'll put all these show notes um, in um, with all the links there for 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 all our listeners to jump in there. Um, Ray, before I ask my last question, I really want to acknowledge you for for all the giving back that you have done over the years, um, all the families that you have helped succeed through through running those those businesses um, and all the investments that you're doing today to, to push others to kind of see the success that you saw in your career. And I appreciate your time um, on the show here. I know you're busy. Um, really appreciative of all the wisdom that you've shared. I know we only had a very short amount of time, but I uh, would have loved to, to quiz you more, but uh, I think we'll, you know, we can grab your book and learn a bit more about um, some of the other information. And now for the last question, Ray, um, when all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. Um, so the culture that we had at Mikrell was interesting. It was a very, is a culture we had from the very beginning. And so I believe that, that a company culture is very important uh, to run a successful company. And so the number one culture was honesty. The second was integrity. The third is dignity of every individual. We didn't allow any swearing or vulgar language to be used in the company. And I had over a 1,000 people working for me. Um, and the fourth is doing whatever it takes, no excuses. In other words, you're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to not you know, do everything perfectly. The key is, is not the mistake. It's how do we correct it. The key is, is, is not to make somebody else suffer because we made the mistake. And so we make recompense that way by making sure no harm, no foul. Okay, I made a mistake, but I'll fix it, and, I, and, and it won't be any harm or, or hurt to the, to the company. And when you run your own company, that's what you should be thinking about is that, okay, I'm going to make a mistake as, a, as the leader and the CEO of the company, but I'm not going to make it so that it hurts the company. I will do whatever I have to do to overcome that mistake that I made. So no harm, no foul if you fix the mistake. So what I want to be known for is having a strong culture of integrity. Integrity is doing what's right when no one is watching. So you don't need a law to tell you what to do. You do it because you know it's right to do. And, and, uh, um, and to have, you know, keep, you know, help your employees become better people. Better people make better employees. So 
Have a culture in your company where you help develop people in, in their lives, whether it be in their personal life or in their professional. Be willing to help others. Because if you do, what comes around goes around. Don't worry about yourself. If you worry about yourself, nobody else will. So the best thing for you to remember is be the best you can. Don't forget about other people. No man is an island. Okay, you need others. We're here on this earth to help each other. And I like to think of this world as they see it from space. No borders, no cultural differences, no language differences, no barriers, that we all think of, of, of this world as a, a, a place where we, we all work together no matter where we live, whether we live in South Africa, or Australia, Germany. It makes no difference if we think of each other as we're all of the same race and we ought, ought to treat each other that way. Huge words of wisdom there. Um, really appreciate your time and, and contributing to this show. Um, you know, all the words of wisdom there coming from, from your many years of experience and having led, um, a very successful business. Truly thankful. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Ray today. Hope you had as much fun as I did. And more importantly, my hope is that you can get your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams. Um, remember to head on over to businessgenerals.com for all the show notes. Just type in Ray in the search bar and his show notes will pop up with everything that we've talked about today. So that's businessgenerals.com. And to connect with Ray, find him at toughthingsfirst.com. Check out his book, check out his podcast, and uh, we're going to put all these links in the show notes. Ray, thank you so much for being on the Business Journalist Podcast today and for sharing your story with us. We're very grateful. You are a true business general. Well, thank you, Davis. I hope this was helpful to your audience. Thank you. Hey, what's up, Business Journalist family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journalist Podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessgenerals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.